Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam, and you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Boom shakalaka! My mom gave birth in 1985. I was bluer than a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the cold world, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. That arcade was my All right. church. I I was Welcome everybody to Game Dev Breakdown. Todd Mitchell here, Matt Hill over there. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing excellent. Uh, it's been a great week so far, and I'm looking forward to what the rest of it holds. How are you, sir? I'm great. I'm excited. We just, <laughs> I'll mention this here and people can decide what to do with this information, but we just recorded an episode of a new podcast where you and I do a thing that we've done for years everywhere, which is anytime we're talking, it turns into old TV talk. This is just when we stream, we used to be on Mixer to do those co-streams. We play games and parties. We drive everyone nuts with our discussions of old sitcoms, Boy Meets World. That was tonight's an episode of boy meets world uh <laughs> obscure stuff like spin city popular stuff obscure stuff we love talking about tv stuff so we're taking a swing at it we're gonna do a um a show on anchor for a little bit see if it takes off and it's i'm having a blast already how about you it's it was everything i've ever wanted it's basically <laughs> just like us playing rocket league again and whatever came to mind with guidance of an episode we went with it and it was perfect we would get in doubles in Rocket League and lose <laughs> multiple games because we were talking. Worse, we would get into threes with a stranger yes, in, yes. in public lobbies. <laughs> and uh, this third person is like, what is wrong with you two? And we're talking about Saved by the Bell. <laughs> <laughs> had, had to happen. It came up. I, I think, don't know how Rocket Cars and Soccer made it happen, but it came up. I can't tell if this activity killed Mixer or extended Mixer's life by about six months. I'm not All sure. All I'm saying is we could have taken a cut of the 33 mil they just let Ninja walk away with. I'm, I'm going to say it. I'll be that guy. Yeah, it's it. We I think we're owed answers at the very least. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of shout outs and mentions, I have to say hello. How you do? How do you do? And thank you so much to our friends in the Star Citizen community on Reddit. Listen, you were the first one I talked to when it, when. The episode went live last week, and I noticed the analytics start to go up, and then they started going up faster, and I was like, (laughs) hey, we're getting some, we got a mover on our hands. It's very hard to get something going on YouTube if you didn't start in 2008. So to have a video doing okay on YouTube these days with a relatively young account is phenomenal. And I noticed in the analytics, it said, okay, you're getting so much click through for impressions. Great. It was a little north of what it normally is you're getting so many uh referrals from search and from other videos and then like external sites was off the charts and i was like oh we're getting we must have got picked up somewhere and i'm i'm dming you all this stuff in discord and the next thing i said to you was oh shit it's reddit (laughs) 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 because (laughs) My last couple of mentions on Reddit were a nightmare. The last one was literally Gamergate, (laughs) which (laughs) I, I should, I should temper that because this mention on Gamergate was not as bad as what many have suffered through. But my article about a Facebook hacker taking over my account and, uh, hijacking the company credit card on the code right play page, uh, it blew up all over the web, but for some reason, uh, the unofficial Gamergate subreddit decided to uh, to bust my balls a little bit. And a couple of I, I don't normally go looking for this stuff, but I, I did run into this. And one comment that made me laugh a lot was, you know, Todd Howard, the uh, lead of um, Bethesda. Yes. Familiar. So, do you, do you know Billy Mitchell, the famous pinball guy who's all controversial, yeah. who looks oh, like a weird weasel man? Also the DK guy, right? Yeah. So they, they posted Kong my article. They right. They posted my article and uh, a couple of people went like, this is fine. I don't really know who this guy is. And somebody <laughs> took my name and went, what do you get when you mix Todd Howard with Billy Mitchell? <laughs> <laughs> I sincerely laughed at that for several minutes. It was like. I even I even briefly changed my Twitter name to Todd, quote, 
Howard mixed with Billy, quote, Mitchell. <laughs> it's it's funny, but it's not because, I mean, obviously uh, a lot of people have really suffered at the hands of that group. But uh, <clears throat> I, I came out relatively unscathed and uh, that was pretty funny to me. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was nothing like that. I was very worried about this mention on Reddit is the entire point. And they were they've been nothing but awesome. Uh, they I dropped a comment on the subreddit. Hey, thanks for sharing this because you can't share your own stuff anywhere on Reddit or you'll be hmm. absolutely roasted the entire hmm. time. So I yeah. never put any of my stuff on anything I've had anything to do with on Reddit. When somebody does share it, I drop by and say, thanks. Awesome that you check this out. Hope you enjoy. Let me know what you think. Uh, they're very cool on Reddit. The comments on YouTube have been phenomenal. A bunch of people subscribed. Tip of the cap. Thank you so much. Glad to have you. So uh, I, I want to make clear that, like, I was very nervous when I saw Reddit, <laughs> but everybody's been extremely cool. And Reddit was responsible, very ironically, for us finally crossing 1,000 follows on Spotify. That's right. 1, We're 000, so thankful, too. Like 1,001 listeners at this point have hit follow on Spotify, which is phenomenal. Uh, Spotify's taking over the podcast space. Uh, all the all the big stories you hear, Joe Rogan getting forty bajillion dollars, and and all the other uh, big podcasters. That's probably not going to be us, but this ain't bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I'll take it, it. It's decent to have a little bit of a because we've done well on Apple Podcasts relatively, um, but it's also nice not to have to depend on that. Have something else kind of taking off. I don't care if it's just us hanging out and having fun, talking to people who want to come on, yeah. but. When we do well in the numbers like this, other people join in and they're willing to come do guest time. And there are people I don't even ask because I feel like there's not enough listeners. And I feel like um, there was a time when uh, Brenda Romero was going to was kind of interested in coming on John Romero's wife. I was going to uh, say, is that who that was? Yeah, she's a phenom in the industry. And I, I was kind of like I approached her and she was like, OK, well, I'm super busy. I'd love to do it in a couple of months. Could you follow back up with me? And I thought like. I should never bothered this woman. <laughs> that was actually a couple of years ago now. And I feel bad that I didn't follow up, but that's to illustrate that some guests are like so far up. And I want to yeah. be clear that many of the guests who have appeared, I feel the same way about them. Yeah. Uh, they're doing me a giant favor and I want to make it worth their time is the yeah. whole thing. So I, I love the small tight knit community we have. Like I love the discord with like 50 or 60 of us hanging out and I love um, everybody I tweet with about this stuff on the on the various Twitter pages. Uh, but it's it's awesome to be able to expand and get new people in and have awesome Always. new experiences. Just like last week, they approached me. I had to find that in my spam folder, actually, <laughs> because they, they had a new domain and new domains are frowned upon sometimes because they, they got a new studio, new game going on. They were like, yeah. hey, we we like what you're doing. We like they." They flattered me, which is a perfect way to get on the podcast. Sure. <laughs> One of them said, like, we, we like your authentic energy. And I'm like, yeah, I am authentic. I appreciate you saying <laughs> that. It's genuine. It's, it's nice when somebody gets it. So I said, no, seriously, this sounds great. I had no idea who Chad was. And that came up. You know, I, I saw it and I was like, yeah, I would have these guys on. Oh, also, you know, lead engineer on, on Star Citizen. That's a, that's a big deal. And it was a big deal. So I had a great time. I'm glad you guys had a great time. Thank yeah. you all so much. Tonight's another big one. Tonight is the full expanded interview of the uh, the chat we had with Troy Denning of uh, of Halo lore, the Halo universe, the Star Wars universe. He's a multiple best-selling author. New York Times, not Amazon, <laughs> like me. <laughs> My claim to fame is I hit like 12 on the Amazon list, which is not hard to do. He's a New York Times number one. So he's he's done several Halo books now. He's done Star Wars books. He was a big D&D guy from way back. He's a prolific author. He We talked about how much he's able to put out in terms of writing projects per year. And this guy has done so much, and he actively does so much it was so much fun talking to him and like this turned into like fledgling writer asking things of like seasoned writer and it, it did my soul a lot of good so if anybody does writing out there or if you just have things on your mind about productivity and you know your own pacing in life so much good stuff this time so i thought it'd be fun to talk about halo for a minute and then we will just launch this into the interview and i've kept you on here for far too long already no but, uh, not at all how excited are we about Halo Infinity is I, one thing. 
I infinite is going to be one infinite. of the God, two weeks in a row. Say? Fucked up a name. I said infinity. <laughs> well, Halo Infinity and beyond. Of course, they didn't call it infinity. Well, they did drop a new uh, Lightyear spinoff Toy Story movie trailer today too. So <laughs> I didn't watch that trailer yet, but it's probably what your mind is. I'm sure. I, I love how even now that Tim Allen is off the uh, the the Buzz Lightyear thing, he trends immediately every time anything comes uh, up. Because it's it's politics related now because he's a big conservative or whatever. So it's funny because, I mean, Home Improvement is going to be another one for our list for the for oh, the, old, oh, yes. the other podcast <laughs> because it was a simpler time. We didn't know anything about this guy personally. Right. I loved that show back man. in the day. <laughs> yeah, he was a family man. There was no cocaine and dirty comedy. It was him working on cars going. <laughs> <laughs> that was the entire. And my 13 year old ass loved that. It yes. Was, I did that at school. I was, like, huh? <laughs> I was super excited about that. That's all it took. He made that face again and did that sound. I love it. Love it. Tim Allenless Buzz Lightyear movie. Okay, great. I, you know, yeah. I would check it out. Yeah. yeah. When I was a little younger, I thought, like, wouldn't this be an amazing career? And then found out, like, similar to the way I cannot draw, it would be very <laughs> difficult for me to be a fantastic uh, character modeler, possibly animator. I can animate okay. Uh, if I have models ready to go, I can kind of animate okay. But so the Pixar stuff, the uh, the DreamWorks stuff, I love all this stuff. Oh, Super yeah. cool to me. Absolutely. So Infinite, though, it's gonna be Infinite, it's gonna be yes. a banger. It's gonna be a banger. I think we've waited I th- five for at least five six years now. It's been, a long it's been time that now. long. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know they've already said Forge is going to be available later, not on lunch. To me. I don't care about that. That is not something I enjoyed. Now, I know there's community for that. Good on you. We appreciate sure. your hard work, but that's not me. Don't get upset. But <laughs> okay, if that's missing off launch, cool. That's not really playability of the game. Yeah. Speculation. I don't I don't know. I haven't kept up with it because I want this to be as fresh and vanilla as an experience for me. First time. I didn't mess with any of the test flights. I didn't try to get in on any of that. I've watched even very little of all of it. I just want it to be fresh it's been that long halo 5 was enjoyable not my favorite but enjoyable enough and i want this to be clean and great and they have the perfect tools to have a br if they i'm sorry that's weird to say about halo because battle rifles are brs the first (laughs) and foremost br that was ever that's what br really means really before battle royales came around it was halo yeah and now they have the perfect they have the perfect platform and ip to do that with so as long as they can compete with that get that in there correctly and i'm seeing i'm a nerd and i follow competitive sports a lot and a lot of the pros that have been playing for a very 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 long time are saying this is looking and feeling very nice Mm -hmm. that gives me hope i'm happy about it because it's it's not quite like Call of Duty when people are like, oh my god, this is awful, this engine sucks. No, it's like okay, well they make one a year, like we'll sneeze and you'll have a new one here in a couple of days. But this means something. Um, these people have been playing for a very long time on engines. The crossplay is going to be really good. Uh, PC is going to bring in kind of a whole other side that we haven't had before until they just released yeah. it. I think within like the last year on PC for Master right. Chief Collection. So just recently, yeah that's going to bring in more eyes and all new playability and a whole bunch of fun stuff there. So I'm super optimistic for this. Um, we have, everybody has access to multiplayer for free anyway, but uh, I would like to see the campaign and, or hopefully battle Royale features available to game pass members since it was supposed to be a day one launch with the new system. Anyhow. But yeah, man, I'm stoked for this. I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be fresh. I think, I've already read and seen some brand new features and things, and obviously things are going to be skinned way nicer looking now for new new console and PC. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be a banger. As long as they just keep listening to their people, they have a very loyal fan base, I think we're going to be fine, within reason, obviously. I think we're going to be fine. I'm excited to play it with friends. I think that's going to be great. I will certainly check out Campaign Action. I always do eventually. I yeah, always, same. at some point, I always get through it. Um, I liked the story for five. I enjoyed that. I thought that was, yeah. And I'm a little bit of a halo lore nerd and that's kind of how we ended up here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't tell you how, 
how, how gratifying it is to start something like the podcast, <laughs> the website, all this stuff. I'm a Halo novel nerd from like way, way back because the first couple were like, they're going to have like legit authors make books about this game I already love. Yeah. So I checked those out. I enjoyed the first couple, like really like well-written, awesome stories. Eric Nyland and all them. Yeah. Eric Nyland. I mentioned Eric Nyland in the interview. Um, so then to have Simon and Schuster be like, Hey, we ran into your stuff. Could we send you like, I've gotten the last three Halo novels sent to me before (laughs) release. That's awesome. That's better than getting free games to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So I've gotten so much free Halo at this point. I've had to really struggle to keep up. Because they're they're big books and I'm a slow reader. Yeah, I am such a slow reader, and they're they're cranking these out fast enough that I'm having to to work at it. So Troy was freaking awesome. Uh, before we move on from um, from this into that, you've got your '64 shirt on. I love it. I I've got one I wore out recently. Had to throw it out. Have you heard about Nintendo to, Switch? Hold, on, hold you're not glossing over that. You had to throw it out. <laughs> what happened? I wore, I wore it to death. It was. It oh, was, I thought like, oh, I wore it out the other day. Yeah, I had to throw that motherfucker right out. <laughs> I, was like, I wore it out and was criticized, <laughs> attacked by PlayStation fans. Oh, no, okay. it was nothing like that. Okay, so you know that Nintendo <laughs> has added sixty-four games to the Switch now. Yes, yes. I really want to get into this. There's going to be, I think there's like online play for a lot of it. And, and you need to get a switch is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, if we could play, you know, GoldenEye or something with two joysticks instead of just one and a D pad, you know, they have a cheap version of the switch now, which is like a, it's supposed to be mostly for portable play. Sure. Take it to work with you. Yeah. You get the pro controller. Yeah. We could make a run at this. This yeah. this could be our new lives. We could quit all this other podcast stuff and everything else. Oh, we yeah. could just be a couple of Nintendo 64 players. Yeah. And uh, see if that leads to anything, right? Yeah. I wouldn't say no. If this took off, that could take <laughs> off, right? I mean, yeah. This can be our lives. So <laughs> I'm gonna be that's to say I'm gonna be checking this out. I'm very excited about this. So if you if anybody did not know, I, I find it unlikely. Nintendo news is big news, but uh Look for me on Switch Online. <laughs> there you go. For lack of any other housekeeping, I will throw us into the interview here, right? 10-4. You caught the condensed version of this on the release day for Halo Divine Wind. Thank you again, Simon and Shuster, and for setting up my chat with Troy Denning, who was phenomenal to talk to. You will notice some back-and-forth technical issues. Both of us went through it. These... Some of the most expensive headphones on the planet crapped out in the middle of the of the chat. You'll see me switch headphones. Um, he sort of drifted off camera at one point, and uh, I. It's hard for me as me to stop a New York Times bestselling author mid sentence and go, "Could you repoint the camera?" That's what that is. That wasn't his fault. <laughs> I've seen him post about this. Like uh, apparently, I was off camera. That's fair. That was my fault. I didn't feel comfortable being like stop. Please repoint your camera. <laughs> that's <laughs> not my place. If he wants to be upside down, that's fine with me if he keeps cranking out gold like this. So hang out, enjoy my chat with Troy Denning, learn something, and uh, enjoy. Well, uh, Troy, thanks so much for jumping on a call with me. Uh, happy book day. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. So this is the big release day, which I didn't realize I'd get to talk to you on release day. Uh, how's it going today? Um, it's going pretty well. I mean, most of my work has been long done before um, release day. So I just kind of sat down and, you know, post a couple of things on social media and reminding people that uh, the book is out today <clears throat> and uh, we'll sit back and wait for the reactions. I guess we should start with uh, give us sort of the pitch behind uh, the book Halo Divine Wind. Well, basically, it grew out of uh, Shadows of Reach. When um, I was writing Shadows, we were working very closely because there's a lot of stuff that um, impacts or kind of derives from Infinite. So as I was writing it, about every 100 pages, we would have a little conference or every two weeks. Actually, it was not every 100 pages. It was about every two weeks. We'd have a conference, and I'd you know shoot them some of what I was doing so they could look at it and say, yeah, this is working, or this might cause a problem with Infinite, or, you know, don't do this. <laughs> uh, and one of those things I did, I 
there was a scene early on when Caster is having a meeting and I had originally just had a human pop in to do something and uh, to deliver something for him. And I mentioned to uh, 343 that my mind, that human was one of the ferrets uh, that was undercover with the keepers. And they liked the idea so much that we developed in, into a, um, a whole subplot um, that the, the ferrets would be there. And then we decided we had a different fate in mind for Caster at, at the end of um, Shadows. But we decided that it would be a lot more fun to send him, to actually send him to go on to the Ark. And that's how this this story arose. Is that, yeah, that... Uh, Caster is going to the Ark to um, begin, the, you know, to fulfill his dream of commencing the great journey and, and uh, firing the Halo Array. And uh, Veda and uh, the ferrets who have been spying on him for a couple of years now realize that they have to go too because they're the only ones in a position to stop him. <laughs> so kind of a desperate undercover mission. How long have you kind of had a hand in the sort of extended Halo universe now? How long has it been? Oh, boy. I'll have to go back and look at the first book. <laughs> I'm terrible at that at, uh, dates. But Last Light was my first book, and it was published in 2015. Okay. Yeah, 2015. So I've been working with them from about a year before that. So it would be 2014. So we're closing in on a decade here, which is uh, very cool. Um, I yeah, mean, I guess it is. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. It's one thing to to do great fiction work and to write bestsellers, all of which you've certainly done at this point. But to also, uh, I'd love to know a little bit about this process, because I know you have a lot of people to coordinate with. And I'm curious how that kind of looks for you. Well, first, let me say that it's everybody assumes that having so many people working, working with so many people actually is, is kind of a hassle, but it, but it, it isn't actually because everybody brings something different to the, to the table. And um, it just improves it. Each person that contributes ends up improving the, uh, the, the product. So basically the way it works, Simon and Schuster gallery will license um, by get a licensing agreement with 343 for the Halo franchise. And in that, you know, they agree to publish a certain number of books. Then they go and they find an, a writer to write the books they want to, that they want to publish. So they approached me. I happened to be um, sitting in Seattle with some old buddies from TSR one day, and one of them had said he was interested in writing Halo books, but it... Um, He'd been talk somebody had talked to him about writing some Halo books, but he couldn't do it because of uh, the uh, conflict of interest agreements that he had at that time. Sure. So I, when I when I heard him say that, I said, "Oh, Halo! Wow, that's really great. That that would be fun." And so he told the editor that um, you know I liked Halo, and at that time I was kind of familiar with certain elements of the lore, but mm -hmm. I hadn't. I'm not really a video game player. I'm more of a reader. Um, so I'd read a few Halo books and enjoyed them, but uh, when the editor heard that I was interested in doing it, he got in touch with me and and said, "Okay, um, we want you to do a Halo book." Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a phone conference with him and some guys from Three Four Three, in which they said, "Okay, what do you want to do?" And I said, "My, my dad was um, was uh, had cancer and was dying at the time and I was kind of sentimental and he'd been a detective uh, for a lot of time. So I said, well, I how about a detective story? And they just immediately, this is the thing I really love about 343 is that if they can say yes, they will. And they said, sure. <laughs> right. You know, send us an outline. So we outlined um, Last Light in which I introduced Veda Lopez. And that's how that worked to generate the the initial idea. And after that, you you outline the idea, and the more detail you can outline the idea, the better because um, the plot, because that reduces the amount of surprises down the line and um, makes it just makes it easier for everybody if everybody understands what the plan is, you know. 
and we'll go back and it's all write an outline, uh, send it in. Um, they'll come back and say, well, let's change some of these things. Let's fix this. That won't work or that will work or we can do it this way, but we can't do it the way you originally outlined it. Then I'll revise the outline, send it in. There'll usually be a few more comments on it, but at that point, it's a matter of, okay, just make sure you do this. And then I'll start writing. So I write the, write the book, the, the manuscript, and it goes into my editor at a gallery and he'll take a look at it and sometimes say, well, let's make these corrections before we send it on or he'll just send it on. And then 343 will make a, a list of corrections and usually they'll go through two or three people there and they'll get together there and combine all of their corrections into one set so that, so that I don't have to guess who I should be listening to. You know, they've all, they've worked all that out in advance, send it back to my editor and he, um, checks and sees if there's anything he has an issue with. And then it comes back to me and I revise it. Usually one revision is good, but um, all through the, um, after that point, after I revised it and turned it in, it goes into production where it's being edited, um, copy edited, you know, proofread and all that kind of stuff. And at each stage, at each one of those stages, everybody looks at it again. And they'll often, it'll often come back with, with some, minor revisions that I need to make at those stages and, you know, all the way through the second. I guess I would say that it's not unusual to have some revision requests all the way to the, the second proofreading stage. Mm -hmm. So they're not big revision quests. It's, you know, just by that time you're talking a couple of lines here or there. Um, sure. I'm not sure how many people at 343 read it, but I think it's probably three or four. Mm -hmm. And, uh, each one of them, you know, adds some of them are really great at, at reminding or knowing the, the lore and the deep, the gaming lore and pointing that out or saying, oh, wow, this connects to this. You could you could push that, you know, do this and that'll connect. The fans will really love it. Um, and that kind of thing is really invaluable. Other um, Ed, my um, editor from uh, Gallery is really good at I'll, I'll write the story and i'll think oh man i've you know i've explored that character's emotions all the way as far as i can and inevitably he'll come up with uh two or three spots where i need to push it further and uh, he's always right so it's it's really great to have such a good team of people working with you and each one of them brings such a brings their own unique talent to the to the project you sort of go well beyond writing at some point on both sides at the game studio level and at your level. And it becomes sort of, um, historian work almost, you know, keeping the lore, like you mentioned, I mean, that, that role has evolved quite a bit and, uh, it seems fascinating to me. It's gotta be a lot of fun, you know? Oh, it is. It is. Um, of course I've been, I went to work for TSR produced dungeons and dragons right out of college. Um, as an editor, so I've been involved in, in game creation, not video game creation, but sure. game creation um, for most of my life, for 40 years. You know, you learn early that when you're working with a, with a shared world, um, that you can't get possessive of it. You know, you have to re re remember that this world belongs to everybody. You know, it belongs to all of the people who are working on it all of the, the people who own the copyrights and the fans, you know, so you just have to wrap your mind around, you don't get to do what you want to do all the time. You have to do what's best for the world. And um, if you keep that in mind, it's, it becomes a really fascinating and, and, and very rich um, process. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, I love stories in, in big universes like this because there's so much, more available to it that that I can go and look at and borrow and and move and you know and and utilize that one person you know a writer on his own would never be able to generate all of the material and all of the richness that you get with a with a shared world like this this is not the only big series you've contributed to you've done work with the star wars uh universe uh how often, first of all, how often do you write a book? And I mean, what's it like jumping around these, these big, really incredible series like that? Well, I write basically a book a year now. 
Um, hmm. I have in the past have written as many as two a year. Um, you know, at one time I thought I could write three a year, but you're just <laughs> given it enough. You know, you're, it takes time to do something and do it well. Basically, it takes me about uh, eight months of writing time to to get a book out, and then there's a lot of a lot of time and, and work that's involved in, in being a writer that doesn't actually involve writing. <laughs> so that's what the what the other four months are usually spent doing and recovering from. Is that the only way to get in? Is to hit the uh, the New York Times list? So I don't think you need. Um, need to hit the New York Times list to become a media tie-in writer. Um, matter of fact, I think anybody who's actually been on the Times list before they start writing media tie-in is unlikely to make that transition hmm. uh, because they've already been highly successful with their own series and they'll want to support that series and write their own stories. Um, and jumping into media tie-in writing at that point um, it probably wouldn't be lucrative enough to attract them. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, most people who look for tie-in writers do want to have somebody who's written and published uh, at least one novel before. Um, and the reason for that is they just want to make sure you can actually, you know, finish and deliver what you, what you promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as, as you know, writing is kind of a, it's a, it's a, marathon of writing a novel it's you know you just have to get in there and write it every day and you have to go through all of the um self-doubt and the crises of confidence that um especially when you're starting out that they're only natural and if you can't if you if they don't have confidence that you're going to be able to push your way through all of that stuff they they don't want to contract you and it's not only because they don't want to you know risk the money on you but they also you know they're they're contracting you to write a book to fill a specific slot and if that book isn't delivered they've got a problem because now they have a big hole in their schedule you know in their in their release schedule and what they're trying to do because keep in mind that um this is all part of a a big program you know i mean when i write a this halo uh write a halo book it's coordinated with um, you know, Halo Comics, another Halo book, um, the games releases. Um, sometimes I think that's even coordinated with, uh, you know, the toy releases and the, the little figures. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot is writing on being able to to deliver the product on, on time or, or at least close to on time. Um, yeah. I mean, at your level, do you still deal with the uh, the the classic writer confidence issue where you get a new project and you go, oh, no, this is the one I won't finish and I'll lose my job and everything's over? I mean, surely you're past that, right? Um, no, not really. Um, I think, I mean, the difference is I know I'll get through it, but I still struggle constantly with trying to find the right voice for the character, you know, trying to to set up the story so that, so that it remains something that's going to pull the reader through, you know, and keep them engaged all the way. Um, and that requires a lot of work and a lot of soul searching. And, and, you know, it's, it's like you learn how to write a book every time you write another one. It's, it's always a learning process. It's, I, you know, you sit down and you think, all right, I've written 40 books. You know, the next one shouldn't be that big a deal that hard, but, it is because you're, it's a different book and every book has its own soul and you're trying to find that soul and bring it out each time you write it, write a new one. Um, yeah. And your expectations. I mean, I think sometimes that it's was easier to write for me when I was writing my first book than it is now, you know, writing my 40th and, or 41st or whatever it is. Um, because at the time I wrote the first one, I didn't know all the mistakes I was making. You know, I made all of these mistakes and then the editor pointed them out and I saw them when I revised it. And then so you went back and fixed them. Um, now, you know, as I'm writing, I like know every mistake that I've ever made. <laughs> and instead of just making them and then going back and fixing them, I'm always trying to find a way around them before I write them. So 
before you make the mistake. So that can be um, challenging in its own right. You, and you, you're always trying to do better than the last one. I mean, you know, you if your if your previous book was good, and you know, I always like to think that they are. I want to make the next one better, and that's not always easy. Yeah. I'm sure you've gotten to know your own pace pretty well, at least. I mean, when you're sort of scoping things out and, and sort of putting together an outline or at least a, a sense of uh, where the story is going to go, what all is going to be involved. I mean, I think for me as a writer, it's it's difficult to know from the outline how long I'm going to take to do something. Uh, I bet you've gotten better at that. Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, I've, I constantly am looking in, at my schedule and thinking, okay, I can do this and this amount of time and then look up and it's taken me two or three times that long. Um, part of it is that I, you know, I get kind of obsessive at the beginning of a book and I, you know, I will just rewrite things constantly until they seem right. Um, and a lot of that is just trying to figure out who your characters are and what the story is actually about because Anytime you write the outline, you you think you know what the story is about, but as you're writing it, um, I'm sure you've found that um, all of a sudden you realize that it's about something entirely different that that you didn't expect. Hmm. Um, and a lot of that, you know, that's an unpredictable process. It just it takes a different amount of time to do that every time I do it, um, you know. And as a game writer, when I was writing game um, projects, you know, support products. I, it was easy to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write, you know, 2000 words a day. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, I just sit down and write those words. But I find when you try to do that with um, novels, you end up writing, um, you know, 2000 shitty words. And <laughs> you got to throw them away and write, you know, you know, spend the next day writing a thousand decent words. You know, it's, it's um I think for me at least when I when I'm writing no novels, um I it doesn't pay to just pour pour words onto the page. I, they have to be the right words or um I'm perfectly capable of just, you know, spewing shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the best of them if if I if I don't take the time to really try to to figure out what I'm trying to do and what I want to do and make sure that I'm doing it well. Who among the other uh, extended sort of Halo authors have uh, written some of the stuff you've really liked that sort of helped draw you into it? Who, who are some of your favorites? Um, boy, that's, uh, that's a loaded question. Um, They're all fantastic. So we should start with yeah, that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I would say that when I started to read Halo, uh, let's, you know, before I was even right approached to write Halo, um, I had read some of Karen Travis's um, Glass Glasslands books because we had worked together in Star Wars, and I wanted to see what she was up to. So, so I read a couple of her books and thought, oh yeah, this is kind of an interesting um, take on a on a, um, a you know galactic civilization in a galactic war. Um, then I picked up, I think, Greg Bear's book, um, Cryptum, the first one. Yeah, Cryptum. So I picked up Greg Bear's and thought, wow, you know, this is really unusual. Um, and then I started just kind of jumping around, pick, picking up um, stories here and there, like uh, um, Contact Harvest and uh, let's see. What was the other one? The Cole Pro Protocol I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of um, my early introduction to the Halo universe. And, you know, and, and obviously I kept reading more of it. So, so I liked them all. Um, now I'm, I'm really enjoy Kelly Gay's stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think she brings some unique and interesting characters to, to the Halo universe. Yeah. I've been trying to find a time to get Kelly Gay on, and I, I've been talking to uh, my contact at Simon & Schuster for a while. I, I really do hope to uh, speak to her at some point. Um, 
I think back at in the, some of the earliest material, uh, I think Eric Nyland really drew me in quite a bit, uh, wrote some of the earliest stuff. And I felt like in addition to handling the grand scale of, you know, the sci-fi fiction stuff super well, uh, he also wrote really compelling scenes to me, like great action writer. And uh, man, the, the Halo universe has such really talented uh, writing. I'm, I'm a, a Halo player uh, from, from, long, long ago, because when I when I first got my Xbox, I mean, Halo was everywhere. It was just top of the line, really compelling yeah. gameplay. But I'm a big reader, and I, I can't say there's there are great series that have really great books out that haven't grabbed me the way Halo has. So they've really done fantastic. I mean, do you hear from a lot of readers who are also players? Do you think they're kind of diverging or staying one big group at this point? It's hard for me to, to know for sure, but mm -hmm. I think most of the readers are players. You know, when I, we went to the um, um, Halo Outpost gatherings, I went to two of those, what, the summer before last, and talked with a lot of readers. And, and um, I would say that, you know, almost all of them were players and readers. So I, I would say that that's probably the rule rather than the exception. Yeah. In general, like, what do people approach you the most about? Because you've done so many things. You've worked in the, the Dungeons and Dragons space, and I know you do events for several different things. I mean, what do people stop you, uh, if not on the street, what do people stop you at events about? You know, you would expect Star Wars to be way up there. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, I think that, that Star Wars is the only um, property that has had such universal appeal that I can be walking down the street and somebody will look at and say, Hey, that's Troy Denning, you know, and stop me on the street. Um, the only people, the only time that's ever happened was it was star Wars fans. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, dark sun, uh, which I wrote for um, TSR back in the day. I mean, it's th the game is 30 years old now. Um, uh has had an enduring appeal that um, has just amazed me. It's, you know, it's always been kind of what I thought was my cult classic, you know, but it, whenever I go to a convention, um, anything, there will always be people there talking about Dark Sun. Mm -hmm. So that's been a big one. You know, I'm, I'm, this is funny. I went to um, Luca, Italy, to their games convention. And I was, it was right in the middle of writing my Star Wars um, uh, era. And uh, I went over there thinking they're going to want to talk about, about Star Wars. This is what everybody's going to be interested in. And I got over there and there were all these, I was being interviewed on their TV station and for magazines and stuff. And it was all Dark Sun, all Dark Sun. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at that point I hadn't written in Dark Sun for, you know, 10 or 15 years. So yeah, and I had, they knew it better than I did at that point. And so. Dark Sun for like for strictly Halo uh, listeners and fans not familiar, it was kind of a sort of a tabletop environment for like sort of extreme, uh, interesting ideas that certain game players were worried might break something. They're hesitant to try it. Like I was reading yeah. a little bit about it, but that's kind of the the feel of it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, it was. Uh, its birth was that the management, um, we were, TSR was putting out the Psionic rulebook, um, another version of it for second edition. And Psionics has always been kind of a, a balance problem in D&D. And mm -hmm. they wanted a place where it would make sense to have Psionics be a, be a heavy part of the environment. But they wanted it shut off from everything else so that it wouldn't destroy, you know, Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance and, and the rest of it, you know, come in and, and creep in and, and unbalance it. So they said design a world where, where it makes sense. And uh, that's what we did was we designed a, a, a kind of a blood and sand, blood and sand and beauty kind of world where there's, you know, just desert environment. Um, for the people who aren't familiar with it, when you use um, there's an ecological theme in Dark Sun, too, um, so that when you use magic, it draws lo the life essence out of the ground or out of the, the, the I don't want to say earth, but out of uh, Athos. So that every time somebody casts a spell, they're actually killing a little bit more of the, of the environment around them. 
it can be done so that you know if you're careful it can be done in a way so that you don't take so much that you destroy the um the land's ability to support life but the bad the bad magic users the, the defilers they would just you know draw all the magic they could and, and just light the light the landscape so i think that appealed to a lot of people at the time when it came out yeah and did, did i mean were you strictly contributing uh story or were you in on sort of the the gameplay itself at all like what all did you do um dark sun i was there i was the tim brown and i designed the game and um from the get-go we knew that we wanted to write some books to to go along with it and um so tim and i designed the game and uh mary kirchhoff helped with the initial input mary kirchhoff was the the editorial director at tsr at the time mm -hmm. so f from the start the three of us would get together at lunch once a week for about a year and just chuck ideas out for Dark Sun and decide, you know, this is what we're going to, this is the kind of world we're going to make and, and develop the plot and stuff. So that when Tim and I actually sat down to write the game, it was uh, pretty much all developed um, from those, from those lunch sessions. And after that, um, I'd written three books for TSR at that point. And Mary and, and uh, Mary said, "Okay, well, you might as well write these." <laughs> the the prison pentad. So I wrote those, and um, it was great fun because I because it was my own my own you know it was a, that rare thing in a media for a media tie-in writer where it's your own world that you're writing the tie-in for. Mm -hmm. So I I had a lot more freedom to just um, go off on tangents because I knew that if I went off on this tangent, it'd be okay. It wouldn't mess anything up. And, um, and I knew where I couldn't go, uh, without messing up the game. So it made it a lot, a lot easier and a lot more fun. I was going to say that had to be a much different media tie-in kind of project, but, uh, I, I read about it thinking that you were kind of going story first and then going like, what could we do gameplay wise? Uh, but it sounds like it was almost a little bit the opposite, or at least a little bit of both, that you guys knew the sort of gameplay kind of thing you wanted to do, and how do we tie that together? Is that right? Yeah, it was. Um, I would. You're 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 close to the, to what happened, but um, we were designing the a world specifically for psionics to mm -hmm. be able to play in, um, and everything else kind of followed out of that, but. From, I don't know, I think a week after Tim and I had been assigned the task of, of writing Dark Sun, Mary Kirchhoff um, came in and said, hey, I want to be involved in the, in the um, conception, conceptualization of this project so that we can make sure we have a good, a good world for writing fiction, too. So from the start, there was that fiction element in there. You know, we, I mean, first of all, I was writing fiction. I'd written three books um, by, by that time. And um, Mary was there to make sure that we had a good story, a good, good world for storytelling. And we, during those early sessions, we began to develop the, the characters of Rikus and Neva um, and Sidera and Aegis. You know, we kind of developed um, all of those characters at the beginning. Except for Neva, actually, we didn't develop Neva during that initial session because what happened was after we were getting ready to make a presentation to the management to show them what we wanted to do, and we needed some artwork. So we started walking around. The, the TSR artists at that time had a bullpen. So they, they'd all sit around and, and paint together in a, in a big open room and jabber, jabber and talk and play music. And we would we decided to go in and see which one of these artists we wanted to approach to see to work on Dark Sun. So we uh, went in and started looking at the paintings that everybody had hanging up behind their 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 easels. And we walked past Brahms' easel, and he already had the classic painting of Neva, um, this you know big muscular uh, woman in uh, a green gladiator helmet and uh, holding a tricol. He had he had already painted that just for himself out of um, his own imagination, 
And we walked him, we walked right back there and we looked at him and we said, well, that's dark son. <laughs> <You know, it's, laughs> just immediately we knew, okay, yeah, he's a, he's a guy for us. And we fell in love with the painting so much that we put Neva's character into the story. Hmm. Um, so she kind of was, was born from a Brahm painting. Do you think your tabletop days are done? Do you miss it? Could you ever do it again? Like, I don't, I think my tabletop days are done. Um, the uh, writing the games, you know, second edition was about as complicated as I ever wanted to get playing role-playing games. And yeah. uh, I did a few designs afterwards, but when I started plotting out for like third edition, I'd have to plot the characters and stuff. And, you know, I spent more time plotting stats than I was writing encounters. And I was like, oh, this is it. I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and um I haven't really been interested in in writing any game material since then, mostly because, you know, my heart is in fiction now. And that's that's what I've been doing for 40 years. It would I would have to go back and and study. Yeah. Uh, study how people write encounters and, and in source books these days, because it's probably different than the way than the way we did it when when I was doing it. Yeah, even as a video game designer, uh, I've looked at it and I've I've met people around social media who do it. And I, I think kind of the same thing. Like, I feel like I should have that skill set. I would still be very nervous about jumping in and trying it. <laughs> so yeah. uh, you plotting the stats for an encounter, you know, you have to you have to put all the stats for all of the major characters into the into the encounter. And uh you know, that's an art form in itself. You can't just sit down and, you know, say, oh, I think this guy's got a great charisma and, you know, and, and because everything, all of those stats affect all of the other things in it. And uh, it takes quite a bit of time and, and to, to balance a character and, and to create a character that way or a monster. Yeah. You have to balance the encounter. And, I, you know, that's more art than in science, but, uh, but it it is difficult to do. So, yeah. And I, I hear to fully round you out. I hear you're also a pretty big sports guy. Uh, what kind of sports are you doing? Well, um, I played uh, college football um, in division three. Mm -hmm. I was an offensive guard. Um, nice. Yeah. I started about three years at Beloit college and uh, my first three years, my, my fourth year, I was as a senior, I was too small our line, <laughs> came, you know, and yeah. and my 200 pounds just was nothing. So, yeah. so I got to play special teams, um, my senior year, which actually turned out to be a blast because it was just, you know, I had all the game experience from three years of starting. Um, and you know, it's, you're usually playing with special teams as you, where they usually put the, the freshmen, so you're out there with a bunch of guys who haven't played a lot of football before yeah. at the college level. And uh, one time, one game, um, I was a leading tackler because we were punting a lot and and <laughs> kicking off a lot. So then I made most of the tackles for those two things because I was also um, uh, pretty fast for the line at a four nine forty, so I could get down the field. Um, yeah. So I, so that was. Uh, kind of my college uh, sport. Um, I was a ski jumper in high school, uh, loved skier and ski jumper. Um, I, I skied uh, giant slalom, slalom, uh, ski jumping and cross country. Um, but since I think when I turned 30, I was kind of missing having any, any sort of athletic um, focus so i started taking martial arts and i took uh, a, a school called kikido which um this means spark or explosion it's a, a korean sport or a korean style that combines hapkido and judo and uh, taekwondo mm. and american boxing and um so i took that uh, became a black belt in that and we also we also had kind of a, a separate concentration in in judo, and I really fell in love with judo and became a second degree black belt in judo. Wow. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I uh, used to 
you know, we were, we weren't big into the competitive things, you know, but uh, we would have our own little tournaments and um, I did pretty well in those. And then <laughs> I had a friend who um, was also in our, in our federation, but he was also a big judo player and he was working with uh, Cohen's um, who were the Olympic coaches at the time. And he worked, he would work out with them. So I learned a lot of judo from him, but one time he took me down to their school and we played and uh, you know, the difference between that level of judo and what we were doing was pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, one of the coaches one time just reached out with two fingers and threw me, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> just got me going, and boom, there I went. It was pretty fun. That that is very cool. Uh, I I kind of did a similar thing in my late twenties. I my grandpa had always told me stories about boxing in the uh, in the Merchant Marines, and I thought, yeah. what a cool thing. And I I always thought that was interesting. So I got involved in a local gym, and um, through the local gyms, I picked up different like. MMA disciplines. We did Muay Thai and kickboxing and all that stuff. And yeah. it's so much fun with a smaller group who isn't taking it too, too seriously, like you say. And yeah. un until somebody from another gym comes in and I'm sparring with a six, five firefighter who's like 22 and in, in his prime yeah. and he almost breaks my nose, you know, and, <laughs> but it's, yeah. it is super fun. It's fun stuff to do. And, and that's, that's so yeah. cool. So yeah, yeah, it, it pays to have, to to know that you're in a federation that has the same level and um, level of intensity that you're interested in in pursuing, you know, because you can be, you know, if you you if you're going to a friendly club and you step out of that and go into a competitive club, it's a whole different world. <laughs> you find out right away, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, as we sort of wrap things up, what do you think's on the horizon for you? Do you have it planned, or uh, are you waiting to see? Um. Well, I have something planned, but I can't really talk about it yet. So fair enough. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's always something on the horizon. Uh, you know, I've got a um, books that I want to write for myself um, if I ever get time. <laughs> yeah. When I retire, that's what I'm going to do is is write for myself <laughs> instead right. of uh, media tie-ins. You know, but makes but, sense. Uh, I love media tie-ins. They're they're just so much fun to do. Especially when you're with working with uh, a good crew, you know, and, and I've always had the pleasure of working with a good crew. Um, but the people at three four three are are the best. They just bend over backwards to give you what you need to do what you want, um, and to find a way that you can do what you're interested in doing. It's been so so much fun to sort of follow the Halo Extended Universe. And um, it's really nice to to get to know just a couple of the writers in that space and find out that, you know, you guys are also having fun doing it and that it's a positive experience that that adds a lot for me. And so I think uh, people will be excited to hear about that. Um, you're clearly at the top of the game working with the best people. So uh, great work. And uh, it's it's been fun to follow this. Let listeners know where they can sort of check things out. Uh, the book is. Halo Divine Wind. It's out today. Uh, where else can we find Troy Denning online? Um, you can find me on Facebook and on Twitter. Hmm. Um, Twitter, I think my handle is T Denning Author. Very cool. Well, uh, Troy, thank you so much. This has been great, and we'll uh, look forward to the upcoming unannounced projects. All right. Thank you, Todd. Great talking with you. You also. Okay, big thanks to Troy Denning. Check out Halo Divine Wind if you haven't already. A lot of comments on the YouTube suggesting people tore through this immediately. It's great stuff. Troy's a fantastic author and a very nice man. So check out his work, follow him around the web. If you enjoy Game Dev Breakdown, you can check out show notes at Code Right Play. The Game Dev Breakdown channel on YouTube is finally happening. It's a thing now. So, <laughs> my book, uh, Inside Video Game Creation, Development Experts Share Their Stories, available now on Amazon. Podcast ratings and reviews, still a big deal. Let's go for 5,000 now on Spotify Follows, right? Why not? Yeah, yes. We're going we're gonna to come up with names for all the different groups. Uh, Spotify-nos. Uh, 
Appalachians. I don't know. <laughs> These are off the top of my head, but we'll be thinking. Suggest them. People in the groups. Come on. Talk amongst yourselves and come up with what you'd like to be called. I will refer to you as such, and the tribes will do battle. Yes. Matt, what's up on streams? Streams tonight. We'll be back for blood, uh, diving back in. I think we're getting ready for chapter three. Yes, we're slow. We take our time. Hi, Chivo Hunt. <laughs> but you can find me there and all the other socials, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, at OHC, Mr. Day. And just come hang out with me. I'm getting very close to my 150 follower for the goal of the year. We're at 147, so if you would be so kind to swing by, and if you like what you see, give it a follow, hang out with us, jump in the chat, lurk, throw me all your money, and give me all your Bitcoin. I don't take NFTs, I don't understand them. I just don't. <laughs> give Matt your Bitcoin and explain to him how to use it. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So for Code Right Play and Game Dev Breakdown and my friend Matt Hill, Todd Mitchell here, saying thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time.